0: We are once again in Luke chapter thirteen. If you want to open your Bibles there, I hope I have at least some of the pertinent scriptures up that I can put up on the board. We're looking at a healing that happened as Jesus was working his way towards Jerusalem, and I can tell you that I'm not—I'm uh, not real strong on how this faith healing stuff works. So this is absolutely unnecessary for my message today, but it was for my own edification. I, I've been trying to find the spot. We did the, the, the brunch. We started a brunch all the way back in chapter 11 when a Pharisee, after, after a fight at the uh, at the temple after a fight, a Pharisee invites Jesus to brunch. I mean, it was breakfast, but it was a late breakfast. And yeah. everything that we've been studying for the past month has happened during that brunch. And and it seems like is he going to spend the rest of the Book of Luke there? I mean, Luke is not a familiar book to me. So I, I so I put this together for my own edification, really not for yours, but. Uh, so in Luke 11.37, Luke he was invited. And then in Luke 11.45, a lawyer asked a question. Uh, and then in Luke 12.1, it said, in the meantime, and A.T. Robertson says that means at the same time. Uh, that, that So while this was going on with the breakfast, a bunch of people gathered around. And then Luke 12.13 said, and one of the company said unto them. So that's in the, in the breakfast. And then Luke 12.14, and he said unto him, uh, you can, all of these are in, if you have a red letter Bible, all of these are in black. So this is Luke tying this thing together for you as you read your scriptures. And then 15, and he said unto them, and I'm thinking, come on, leave the party, man. It's this huge fight going on, see. And he said unto his disciples, we spent two weeks on what he said to his disciples. And finally, oh, I'm sorry, and then Peter says to him, and then finally he says unto the people, that's where we were last week, and then... Uh, they were present at that season. Chapter thirteen is the first time linguistically that I can see that he may possibly have let left the party. It was in that same period of time, not necessarily on the same day. So then we get to our study today where we get to and he was teaching in Luke thirteen, ten. So it's all half of chapter eleven, all of twelve, and the beginning of chapter thirteen, it was all in close relationship to this uh this discussion i'm going to move forward here i'm going to get out of my notes and get all confused you watch Uh, you can see if if we understand this correctly we being the the, the commentators that i'm reading not me jesus is over here near korea Uh, he's in this vicinity where herod Antipas is in control so it appears at this point in jesus's walk you remember in john at one point he goes deliberately through samaria Now, he's been working up in that area of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. He's been over in Gennesaret, where the uh, demoniac was healed, and he's been up in Bethsaida, where they had feeding of the 5,000. And now he's working his way down to Jerusalem. And on this time, he went across and came down the east side and came into Jerusalem that way. Uh, It would be the normal way to do it, because Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. And you remember that one time, I think it's John chapter 8, but I I didn't research it, so I'm sorry. I think John chapter eight, where well, he actually goes, it might be John chapter so four actually, deliberately goes through uh, Samaria, meets the woman at uh, at the well in Sychar. But uh, let me back up now to our scriptures. Yeah, go ahead. How far was it from Nazareth to Jerusalem? I really don't know the answer to that. I, I look it up and I write it down, but I can't remember it. So area called is that It is in my notes. It's it's, it's it is spelt without the A's. E-E-R-E-A, for real, when I, when I have it in my notes here. Uh, I was surprised that this map had it spelled that way. You know, I know that from here to here is a day's journey. And from, uh, where was it here? From Capernaum, where did we go? Capernaum, to Bethsaida is a day's journey. And from where he was born in Nazareth, they, they make a walk now. You can go to Nazareth now, and you can walk what they call the Jesus Trail, and you can hike all the way to Capernaum with, with knapsacks and sleeping bags, and it takes three days. So that give you an idea of distance. I'm sorry, I, I can look that up and let you know. I just Google that information. I don't even try to remember that anymore. I have enough trouble spelling Henley, to tell you the truth. Uh, but uh, let me back up now and get us into the scriptures again. just felt like, and he was teaching in one of the synagogues. So somewhere along the way on his walk down that eastern side of the Jordan he stopped at different towns, and any time it was a Saturday, he would... uh, uh Uh-oh, now I'm confused. Did a Jew go to the synagogue Friday night, or did they go Saturday morning? Saturday morning. So our Sunday morning is like their Saturday morning. But their Sabbath starts at sundown. But they, they didn't go to the synagogue until Saturday morning. So that makes sense because they have an early breakfast... And then they have a mid-morning breakfast after the synagogue, just like we, we all go out to, uh, to the restaurant after church. They, they would do that too. Anyhow, and he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. So it's somewhere in that area of King Herod, which is going to play into later on in this chapter, but I'm not going to get that far. Uh, I usually go till i got four pages of notes and I just stop. And I'm stopping before we get to uh, Herod and, and Jesus you know, uh, so he's in, a, he's in a synagogue, it's on the Sabbath day, and behold, uh, and he was teaching. So usually when Paul would go into a synagogue, they, they would recognize an important visitor and they say, would you have something to say? So obviously he was getting quite a reputation and they gave him an opportunity to speak and he was teaching. Now he was up front teaching and he noticed this woman, and behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could no wise lift herself up. So here we are on another Sabbath. Once again, Jesus is teaching. I think I've covered all that. I've passed the map here. I'm getting all out of mess here. I got this picture. This is actually a Hungarian woman. I have my mother-in-law before she passed away was pretty much like that sitting in a chair. Her sister-in-law, who's still alive, is like this all the time. And she can't look up. Now, I'm not saying she's demon possessed. This was a spirit of infirmity that we're going to pick up on that in a minute. Uh, but there are, it's not uncommon to find older people that look like that. And I have a, I have a new ring doorbell that my daughter bought me. And sometimes I'll, I'll set it off when I'm coming in from the mailbox. And I look like that and I think, Oh, stand up, mom, stand up straight. For God's sake, stand up straight. But so this, this is a poor old woman that's crippled. Uh, Now, Jesus recognizes this as a spiritual oppression. The language here means bowed together. It means her eggs and her arms and everything was just all drawn in together. And you and I, you know, uh, you and I would say, man, that woman has arthritis terribly. The medical word that Luke used, you recall he's a physician, the word he uses for curvature of the spine. The word literally means to bend together. He sees this woman bowed down with all her limbs drawn down to the center. And Jesus knows she's been there for 18 years. How does he know that? Because he's listened to her prayers for 18 years. That's how he knows it, you know. Now, Jesus will call her a daughter of Abraham. And a number of commentators that I read feel that she was saved. I don't know how she could be saved since she never met the Messiah. So she's not saved in the sense that we think of saved in the sense, but saved in the sense that she was a faithful daughter of the Jewish religion in that sense. so And so then the, the commentators get into this huge discussion whether a believer can be demon-possessed or demon-oppressed, and I don't want to go into any of that, but I will say, first of all, I do not believe if the Holy Spirit is in your heart, if Jesus lives in you, you cannot be demon-possessed. Because you got greater is he that is in you than he that is in the Lord. So I, I want to, I, I, I'm going to meal around a little bit here, and I don't want to confuse you. Secondly, I do believe you can be oppressed by a demon. I think you can be involved in things that will get you in trouble. I think you can get uh, demons hollering at you. I think things that we do in our past, well, I don't need to say think, I know that things that we've done in our past can come back to haunt us. Now, I don't believe in ghost haunting, but I do believe demons will remind us of some of the things we used to get involved in. Don't you remember, Bob, when you used to do this? Who do you think you are that you think you can stand up in front of people and say this? Blah blah blah. And on they go. You can hear them, and, and you just really have to shut them out of your mind and tell them to go away. I, I love what Augustine said when, a, when an old prostitute friend of his hollered, "Augie oh, baby, Augie oh, baby, it's me." And he said, "Yeah, but it's not me." And that's your best response to a demon: "It's not me. The Bob you used to control is dead." You know. So I do believe we can be oppressed, but I do not believe we can be possessed. So that's one thing I'd like to talk about. You know, There's no indication in this passage that her problem has anything to do with sin because at no point does Jesus rebuke this woman. I think that's interesting. There's not even a hint of rebuke. She was there in the synagogue and she was there faithfully for 18 years. And I think that's important. All God asked her to do was stand up and come forward. That's all she had to do. Now, look, this... Look at this poor woman. She's sitting in the, she's sitting on the lady side of the synagogue. She's probably all the way in the back. And she, and Jesus says, would you stand up? Ah, I'd be tempted to stand up and go out the back door. I don't know about you. But she stood up, came forward. And by the time she got up to Jesus, she was completely here. Now, uh, a lady by the name of Vicki Craft, who is a woman's minister with Dallas Theological Seminary until she died in 19... No, I'm sorry, in 2016... Uh, made a number of notes that I want to share with you uh, her thoughts on this passage. Uh, I, I think it's good to get a woman's point of view if you don't mind. Uh, think of the many excuses she writes of how she could have uh, come up with to stay away from the synagogue that day. She probably was self-conscious about how she looked. She probably experienced constant pain, which distracted her from con- concentrating on the service anyway. It was probably difficult for her to walk the distance to the synagogue, she couldn't look up and forward. I, th- I think a, we call her Aunt Jenny, uh, Virginia Wellman. She's so stooped down that if Jesus called her, to, called her, she could not look up. All she could do is raise her eyes up and look like that. She couldn't get her head up. Now, I don't think my mom was that crippled when she was sitting sitting down. She could raise her head, could she? But Aunt Jenny, boy, she was doubled up. So she couldn't even look forward in front to see. Why would she even go to the synagogue? You know, you think... <laughs> I mean, I can find a lot of excuses not to go to church, too. But in spite of these and many other potential excuses, she was there. And she's been there for 18 years. And 18 years is significant. Have you ever sat in church, Vicki asked, listening to the soaring music or the impressive sermon? <laughs> I don't know about impressive sermon. And your thoughts were all turned inward. All you can think about is the problems in your own life. Thoughts like, no one here cares that I'm hurting. When I was first widowed or divorced or when this illness first was diagnosed, Or when my child became a problem, people prayed for me. They called me on the phone. They visited me. They sent me notes. But now, now that the time has passed and everyone is used to me being here, I guess they expect that I don't need people anymore. They think that I'm coping with my problem, my disability, and that I'm not really hurting anymore. Maybe they even think that if I were really depending on the Lord, I would be able to handle my situation without any difficulty. But I am in pain and I do not think anyone cares. I sometimes wonder if God Even cares. Now, this was not arthritis, although we would diagnose it as arthritis or curvature of the spine. This was a a satanic attack. And and that gets confusing. So before I go into that phrase phase of my notes here, let me say remember those in the church that are struggling. And it doesn't have to be arthritis or curvature of the spine. You know, we're all struggling. Be kind to one another and remember. We all have troubles and think and remember to pray for one another. You're all very good at that. And you, you take an interest in one another. Right? I, I, at one point, Elizabeth asked me riding to the airport, why would you be a member of a church? And, and I said, uh, really, the main thing is in our church is it gives you the privilege to vote. And I know I was rebuked by Mary at the business meeting and properly rebuked, I might add, Mary, that uh, there's more in church membership than that. And it's true, and one of these days I'm going to do a message on the benefits of church membership. Not today, but I will say that whether you're a voted-on member of this church or not, you really, by repeat attendance here, you become an honorary member, and these people care for you, and they're concerned about you, And when you get out of line, they're going to point it out to you whether you're an elected member or not. And and when you're doing what's right, they'll encourage you. So so that whole half of church membership that are really the benefits of church membership, I just take for granted to anyone that comes to Grace Baptist Church. So I've never really thought about listing that out. But I can see the need uh, to go back and refresh myself on some of those things. Uh, It's interesting to me that her, her condition was caused by a demon there are many different symptoms mentioned in the bible that clearly were the result of demonic activity uh Matthew 9:32 uh has dumbness which doesn't mean stupid it just means you can't speak all right Matthew 12:22 blindness Matthew 17:14 seizures Luke 4:33 8:36 mental disorders insanity abnormal strength and uh then you get confused, well, wait a minute, so if I have arthritis in my hand, and it's actually hurting me a lot lately, uh, now that they fix my knees, my hands are, I think, wait a minute, now what, am I going to have to get a new uh, a hand replacement? I don't think they do that, do they? Uh, besides, when you hit 75, I think uh, Medicare's done with you anyway. Uh, but they think, well, now, is that demonic activity? Well, I, I think no. I think not. I think not. But you have to remember, we're body, soul, and spirit. Tripartite, and all sickness is of sin. There was no sickness before sin entered the world. So, if you want to say, you know, why did why did that little girl have to die of cancer? Well, the answer is sin. It's because it wasn't her parents and it wasn't her grandparents necessarily. It's because of sin. There would be no death in the world if it wasn't for sin. God created a perfect world. Sin created my hands to hurt the way they do. It's just part of the degenerative condition of the human situation that we're in in a fallen world. But, but, sin and Satan are really one and the same. So you could say it is a result of the fall that I have this arthritis. You could also say that it's flaring up because a demon is trying to weaken me or irritate me. You can also say that my attitude is wrong. You know, so I mean, it. It's mind, body, and spirit. So it's it's all of us. All of us is involved in our fallen nature. I, I know I'm not going to be real clear about this. But I do believe... Now, I'm not... How do I want to say this? I, I am I am a charismatic. I am not a Pentecostal. Theologically. Now, there's a lot of Baptists that aren't even charismatic and they take great offense at this, so I apologize to you, but I do believe charisma means a gift. I do believe the gifts are still operational. I do not believe, if you're if you're theologically precise, I do not believe the apostolic gifts are still operational. But I do believe if you've been saved and the Holy Spirit has come into your life, God has given you a gift to be exercised in the church. I think Paul is very clear about that. I think that's true. So I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and I depend on him Sunday to Sunday to enable me to speak. And in that, I do believe God still heals people. I've never met anyone that had the gift of healing. I think Paul had the apostolic gift of healing. I believe Peter did. I believe, oh, I know Jesus, did. he could heal anyone he wanted to. And that, and that creates a whole other thing that I'm going to get into in a minute. But the point that I'm attempting to make is, is still, I have experienced divine healings, and I believe they still go on. I remember one time I had a migraine so bad I couldn't, I couldn't function. And I was going to preach the second sermon of my life. I was terrified. And I said, Linda, would you pray for me? And she prayed for me. And it was as if, it was as if, as if somebody pulled a plug out of the right... My migraines were always on the right side of my head. Pulled a plug out of the, my neck here. And the migraine just drained out of my head. It frightened me so badly, I couldn't even concentrate for the next two hours. I was so afraid it would come back. It was the weirdest experience of my life. First time I've ever been miraculously healed. Another time, I was up a 40-foot ladder in the front of the church. I was terrified, and I don't know why. I've always been afraid, but this was worse. I was—I couldn't let go of the ladder long enough to, to paint. I was supposed to be scraping and painting. I was up there hanging on for my life. And I said to James, at that time, who was helping me, I said that backwards. Actually, I was trying to help James. Uh, James, I was trying to help. I said, James, I can't I can't do anything up here. And that night, I said to Linda, "I said I need you to pray for me at dinner," and she did. And I was never afraid on that on that ladder again. For that whole project, I I still get scared of heights. But I mean, that was two miraculous healings that I've experienced. There's probably a thousand that I'm not even aware of, you know. And then one last one that I'll share is Victoria Begay. We were sitting downstairs eating eating uh, one of our. We're always sitting downstairs eating eating one of our covered dish suppers. And she was sitting next to me. She says, how are you doing? And I said, I, I'm really struggling with my knees because they're keeping me up at night. She said, do you mind if I pray for you? And I said, not at all. And I didn't <coughs> feel anything when she prayed for me, but I, I, those knees didn't keep me up again another night. And I told her that a year later. I said, I've slept every night since you prayed for me. I, I do believe God heals people. I believe he still heals people. I don't think it changes. I don't know if anyone now has the gift of healing. I don't know that. But I do know that God still heals people, and you can go to Him. And and there's an element to which every illness we have is psychological, mental, every illness we have is physical, and every illness we have is spiritual. So it does not surprise me that Satan is active in that realm. I don't know if I'm making any clarity at all for you. The Bible says this one is clearly, this this particular (coughs) illness of satanic origin. And you should know, although we don't like to emphasize it, we don't like to think about it, but Satan is alive and well on planet Earth. And, and you know, maybe 30 years ago you would say, oh, I don't believe that, I don't believe that stuff anymore, but you're not going to say that when you watch the news today. You're not going to say that when you watch our country split right down the middle over issues that we shouldn't be splitting over. You're not going to say that when you see what the lawmakers are attempting to do in our country. Satan is alive and well. You know, Barb reminded me last week of a preacher I, I used to watch on TV. I, I would come up out of the office and try to catch him. I, I want to say it was at eleven or right at 12 o'clock, and she called him Robert Morse. Is that the right name, Robert Morris? And I, I thought I know that name, but I know him as Pastor Rob. Now he's a charismatic and a is he a symbol of God, you know? I mean, he's he's big in the, the, the whole healing, and, and, and do you think he is? I think he is AOG too. Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, I said, do you mean Pastor Rob? This was last Sunday, and she said, I know, I think it's just Robert Morris. So I looked him up, and I wanted to hear him on YouTube. That's a long story, forgive me. Uh, I wanted to hear him on YouTube, and... Uh, so I, I, got him on YouTube. We we're standing in the back there now that the internet actually works sometimes. And, uh, it was him. She said, yeah, that's him. I said, good, good. That's the guy I know as Pastor Rob. Well, anyway, we turned it off. We were glad, drank our coffee, ate our donuts, you know, and, and went home. But then my, my truck picks up whatever I was listening to last. Have to be a little careful of that sometimes. It, and it starts playing it just as soon as you get in the truck. And so Linda was out with someone else and, uh, So I listened to Pastor Rob all the way home. Well, he brought up a Mark eight passage. Let me see if I can give you the reference. Mark eight twenty four. I'm not. I don't have it on the screen. I'm not going to put it on the screen. But Mark eight twenty four is an interesting thing where they brought Jesus a blind man and they wanted him to heal him. And the thing that you remember about it the most is, is in Mark, he said Jesus spit in his eye. You know, and I and when and when Pastor Rob said that, I thought, no, no, he spat on the ground and made mud and treated the eye. Well, that was a different guy. There was a guy that came up that was blind and Jesus spit right in his eye. Now you, you know, that's disgusting. He spit right in his eye. And then he took his heel of his hand and rubbed it in the spittle and then rubbed his eyes with it. And you know, we're watching monk at night, you know, because there's just nothing on TV. So we're watching old monk TV. I could just see monk with somebody rubbing spittle in his eye. You know, it's like, oh my God, shoot me now. Anyway, so Jesus rubs us in his eyes. So so anyway, Pastor Rob is telling the story that as a young man, a young preacher, brand new to it, he, uh, he was uh, very strong and believing Jesus could heal anybody. And he was sitting in a hotel one night as an evangelist watching another man preach on, on the TV. And the man was saying that, see, the fact that, that, that when Jesus rubbed this spittle in the guy's eye, the guy's response, when Jesus said, do you see anything now? The guy's response was, I see as trees walking. And then Jesus rubbed his eyes a second time and the guy could see clearly. Now, the man on the TV, not Pastor Rob, used that. I'm riding home listening to this sermon uh, last Sunday. And the man on the TV said, see, even for Jesus, the healings didn't take the first time. Well, I never thought that myself. And Pastor Rob obviously never thought that, because he said back in those days they had ashtrays. And he said, I grabbed the ashtray and I was going to throw it at the TV. It upset me so much. And he, then he realized he had to pay for the TV, so he put the ashtray down. But but the point was, this guy was impugning, not Rob, but this guy was impugning that Jesus could not heal this man on the first bill round. So then Pastor Rob got into it. And he got to digging around and he went back to every instance of seeing trees. Now, I'm not going to take you through that passage, but it's an interesting study. Look up trees in the Bible. And the fascinating thing is when, when you see men as trees, you're seeing that from a spiritual perspective. And, and when you see with clarity, you're seeing it as a human sees. So, Pastor Rob said what Jesus did for this man was he healed his spiritual sight first and then his physical sight second. But Both times were completed healing. I don't know anything about that. You're going to have to research that out on yourself. All right, but I do know there's, I do know there's times that the, that the saints have said, I see men as trees walking. I mean, it's very common in the Old Testament. And it's usually a spiritual impression of something. Now, the point that I'm attempting to make is We need healing in all three areas. Body, soul, and spirit. It's one thing to have our bodies healed. There's a lot of people we know that have healthy bodies, but their spirits are dead. There's a lot of people we know that have healthy bodies, but their soul is dead. They're depressed. They have no reason to living. Their enthusiasm for life is gone. They're just soulishly wishing they weren't there. We've got to think of people in three parts. Just like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've got to think of people as... Mind health, body health, and spiritual health. And that's that's the whole point here. Now, in this case, this, this satanic demon was attacking this woman on a physical level. Jesus could recognize that. Well, enough of that. Let's move on. Get my mouse located here. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him. i would be interesting to know if this was in the middle of this message or at the end of it, whether he minded interruptions or not. But he said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. Now I'm assuming she got up and started hobbling through the front. I'm assuming this is a small town. All of these are assumptions. I'm assuming that it wasn't too many steps. I know when you watch uh, some movies and you look at these old synagogues, they're very small. Our church would be big compared to theirs. And they would often just have seats around the side. So it wouldn't be all this trying to get out of the pews business for uh, for this woman. But I'm assuming that while she was walking forward, uh, uh, as he laid his, oh no, it looks like when she came forward, he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. The The Greek word there is an imperfect, perfect, imperfect active, it means he started to glorify God and the rest of the time that we we're there, she kept it up. She was hooting and hollering the whole time. And the ruler of the synagogue, that was the Pharisee in charge, answered with indignation. Every church has some of these. Because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day and said unto the people, there are six days in which men ought to work. That's Old Testament law. In them, therefore, come and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Well, first of all, no one asked his opinion. But I guess as a ruler, he felt he had to give it. He felt he needed to say something. You know, we don't allow healings on Sabbath days around here, he said. The law requires that we do no work on a Sabbath. Come back any other day of the week and be healed. But it's kind of cynical in a way, ludicrous that he would say that when you consider that she has been a member of his congregation for 18 years. And now he says, come back on Monday, we'll heal you. Are you kidding? As if he could. As if he even knew what was going on. It's really a sad attitude. So, all you people with crooked backs come in on Monday, and we straighten backs on Mondays. We don't do it on Saturday, you know. He forgot that this poor old woman had been coming to his synagogue for 18 years. Now, while this ruler was speaking to the crowd, almost in the third person, Jesus spoke directly to him. And he said, You hypocrite always careful with his words does not each of you each one of you on the sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to water didn't you take your donkey out of the stall this morning and let him get a drink of water didn't you and the answer is probably yes didn't you feed your chickens i don't know if they raised chickens in Israel. Didn't you feed your goats? Don't you take care of your animals on a Sunday morning? The answer is expected to be yes. Are you so uncaring and rigid that you can't even see her need after she's been sitting here for 18 years? I clicked it and nothing happened. And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Mm -hmm. Satan had bound low these 18 years to be loosed from this bondage on the Sabbath day, Now, some points to make about this verse is, first of all, she's a woman, not an animal. You let your animal out. Why wouldn't you let her free? She's a daughter of Abraham. She's not just some stranger passing through. This is a member of your congregation. She's been coming here for 18 years. And for 18 years, you've offered her no help. Satan had bound her. This disease was due to Satan. And you could have done something about that. Ought not she to be loose from this bondage? Even on the Sabbath day? Well, I guess he didn't like interruptions. Huh? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed. So the, 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 the legalists, the, what Pharisees were there, and if it's a small synagogue, there probably weren't more than two. And uh, there were probably very few uh, in the congregation that were actually concerned about this. All his adversaries were ashamed. Jesus actually put them to shame. As well he should. And all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. It's sort of like pick a side. Are we going to care about people? are we going to care about dead law? What's going to matter to you? What matters to you in this congregation? His adversaries were ashamed but the people rejoiced. Now, Stephen Cole, also a graduate of Dallas. I like to find commentators from Dallas Theological because I know they're pretty solid. Uh, At least, I haven't run into a quack yet. Anyway, Stephen Cole, I I like him better than Bob Diffenbaugh. I really like Bob Diffenbaugh. If you do any Bible Hub studies... Bob Diffenbaugh is great, but you've got to have time because Stephen Cole, what Stephen Cole does in seven pages, Bob Diffenball does in 40. You think, boy, the people that go to his church must be willing to sit there. I mean, these are his sermons written out, but even so, how long would it take to speak 40 pages or, or 30 pages? And I'll click on it and think, oh, I don't have time to read all that, and then I'll try to skim down it. But then Stephen Cole does a nice job because he's a little more succinct. Anyway, Stephen writes... Both of them are no longer in the ministry, I think. Uh, This miracle isn't recorded. This is Stephen writing. This miracle isn't recorded here so that we can come to church, sit and say that's interesting, and go home the same way we were. It's here to make us ask ourselves this question. Which side am I on? Am I just going through the motions of a dead religion? Am I just doing this because I ought to? Am I just coming to church because mama taught me to come to church or dad made me? Do I have a living relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ? That's the question he wants to ask at the end of this passage. And then he asks these—I think it's seven—seven questions that he pulls out of this passage. And he did a better job than I could do, so I'm going to share it with you. Dead religion is marked by bondage to Satan, but a living relationship with the Lord frees people from long-term problems. Have you experienced? relief from your long term problems when you came to Jesus Christ now I know if you're like I am you're a work in progress you're not there yet but still I can say with absolute assurance that when I called on Jesus Christ to come into my life and save me chains were broken they're still being broken the change were broken, And I know a lot of people, you know, when I was first saved, they were upset about a number of things in my character. Rightly so. But they wanted to tell me what order I had to deal with those problems. And my response was very wise for my age as a Christian. I said, I'll do these things when Jesus tells me to. That's the right response. Because if I say, okay, I'm going to, and I tried this and it didn't work. If I said, I'm going to quit stealing, quit cussing, quit smoking, quit this, quit that, quit the other thing. Made a nice little list for myself. Made my own little four or five or six commandments. I had no power to do it. But when the Holy Spirit said to me, Bob, now's the time, he gave me the power to do it. So dead religion has no power. There's no power and just coming to church because you ought to, the power is in Jesus Christ. That woman went to that synagogue for 18 years, but it was empty of the power of God. But when God was there, the power was there. And she found relief. See, That's the beauty of the story. A living relationship with the Lord Jesus frees people from long-term problems. Not all are long-term problems. We're all still dealing with something else. But he's working on us. A dead religion cannot provide a lasting change. I was able to quit smoking for a while, but I was never able to completely lay it down until I threw that brand new pack of cigarettes out the window, which cost me an astonishing 35 uh, cents. You go buy a pack of cigarettes now, it costs you a day's wage, but back then it was 35 cents. I threw mean, that pack of cigarettes out the window. I said, God, you can't help me. You know, I think what I said was, God, you can't make me quit." And in my heart, the Holy Spirit said, watch me. Yeah, watch me. Not exactly a faithful prayer, but Jesus answered it with power. And I've never smoked since 1972. A living relationship with the Lord is powerful. If you know Jesus Christ, if he's the Lord of your life, you have experienced what I'm talking about. If I'm talking like a crazy person, you need to come to Christ. You need to discover the one who has the power. A dead religion lacks compassion for hurting people. But a living relationship with the Lord results in compassion. You get that, of course, from this passage where this ruler, of the synagogue, was more concerned about decorum than he was concerned about this poor woman who's been coming to his congregation for 18 years. A dead religion is joyless and angry. You meet a lot of angry Christians in churches. And you got to wonder, what's their beef? You know? What are you angry about? Why don't you tell us why you're so angry? I wasn't smart enough to say things like that to people 50 years ago. And I'm probably not courageous enough to say that to people now, but I do wonder sometimes. We had, we had a friend, a pastor, and uh, a young man came up from North Carolina, and we were, we were talking about this guy, and I don't remember, it really wasn't gossip, but, but the young man's response was, he's really an angry man. And I thought, boy, that just is exactly what's wrong. He's got a problem in his soul with anger. And he he couldn't find resolution. And his anger spilled out into everything in his life. Now, in his case, he was a Marine that was a sniper and was forced, required to kill people that he felt later on didn't deserve to be killed. And he couldn't forgive himself. He was angry at the Marines, he was angry at the government, he was angry at God, he was angry at himself. He couldn't reconcile. If you find yourself angry like that about something, I was angry at my dad for many, many years. Go to Christ and get that thing resolved because the Holy Spirit can resolve that thing. I actually was driving down the interstate when the Holy Spirit started working on my heart about my attitudes towards my father. And they were resolved in 50 miles on Interstate 87. The Holy Spirit can do that. But you got to take it to Him. You've got to be honest with God. You might be honest with me, but you've to be honest with God. Deal with those anger issues. Anyway, I'm getting to on that. A dead religion is hypocritical, but a genuine relationship with the Lord is truthful and genuine. Well, the guy was clearly a hypocrite. He cared more about his cow or his horse or his donkey than he did about this woman. Dead religion promotes wrong priorities. He was worried about how the church service went without interruptions. It's easy to get tied up into that. Sometimes the interruption is God interrupting, though. Sometimes God is interrupting your life. You know, I, I make a whole list of things. I, well, I don't I don't do that so much anymore because I know how fruitless it is. But I used to make these elegant lists about all I was going to get done in a day. And it was kind of like a challenge to God. I'm going to get all this done, and God says, "Yeah, well, we'll see. You know, we'll see. You yeah. know." And I'd like to think I wake up in the morning now and I say, "God, what are we going to do today?" I'm not smart enough to do that yet, but I wake up in the morning and think, "Well, I'm going to try to start here." You know, this this ruler had the wrong priorities. Make sure you don't. What is the sense of having a perfectly clean, beautiful church, everything running smoothly, and everybody's lost, broken down, and can't stand up straight? What's the sense of that? And finally, dead religion brings glory to men, but reality with the Lord brings glory to I him. Think, I think he makes a good point. Stephen Cole does a great job. Ask yourself honestly, which marks my life, dead religion or a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? If you lack that reality, your need like that of this woman is to make a personal connection with Jesus himself. He alone has the power to release you from those things that have put you in chains all these many years. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time together. Thank you for these that come Sunday after Sunday to listen to me rambling around. Thank you for these teachers, Father, that helped me to see the truth. Father, we just pray that there's no one in this congregation that has not come to meet your son, Jesus. And we pray if there is someone here who has not got this living, genuine, chain-breaking relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray, Father, that now while their heads are bowed and their eyes are closed, they would confess to you their lostness, and their sin. And that they would invite Jesus Christ into their heart to save them. And as I did way, way back in 1972, Father, I pray that your Son would gloriously save them from their sin and break the chains that hold them down. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.